My name is Richard Morellis, and I want to welcome you to the Prison Post. This is your podcast for conversations surrounding the need to reform prisons from the perspective of formerly incarcerated people, community members, and leaders in the restorative justice movement. The Prison Post will feature an episode every Wednesday with people who are in the fight to restore lives and heal communities. And we're back again. All right, my name is Richard Morales. This is Jason Bryant. Hello, everyone. And today we have uh, Christopher Gooden with us. Yes, sir. Christopher spent nearly half of his life in prison. And it's good to have you with us here today. You've been out. You've been free. Welcome home. Thank you. Thank Nearly, you. Nearly uh, six months. Yep. Good to be home. Yep. <laughs> so uh, we're going to kick it off, but I want to start off by saying that when I was uh, in prison 18 months ago, the last year I picked up a book on podcasting. Mm-hmm. And, and in that book, we had an idea that we could come out and affect change by transforming the way people think about formerly incarcerated. And we had the idea that once we got out, we began recording interviews with those who are formerly incarcerated. Last week, we did a we did an interview with James Willock. James Willock just got out a couple. You know James. Yeah, my boy. He just got out after twenty eight years. Who's the better basketball player between you and him? Because he was talking about his basketball skills. Uh, let's and not get crazy. He's like four feet. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Let's not get crazy here. All right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Maybe. Uh, maybe if there was a. The age disparity wasn't there because we got. Oh, he's, James, he's got you by a few years, I, I think. Yeah, he was a bully. <laughs> <laughs> but we had him on, man, and uh, and I with you're the second person now. Uh, while you were inside, we did 15, 15 minute calls on. I don't want to. I don't want to plug them, but the prison phone system. Yeah. And um, and me and you had fifteen calls sharing your life story. Before this episode airs, we're gonna put those put that life story out there. Okay. So we'll, we'll, we'll just touch on some of those things because I don't want to double back and, you know, hit everything. Okay. But to have the second person out, you know, at the time when we were recording those calls, you remember that? Yeah, I remember clearly. <laughs> Very clearly. Man, and I then was stressed we, the hell out. <laughs> and then we had many, many calls after that while you were in the process of, you know, waiting to go to board, going to see the site. Yep. And um, so you're the second person that I got to interview on the inside and then interview it out here. And I also want to make a note that, they say I've been. I mean, since being out, I've just immersed myself in learning about podcasting. Mm-hmm. Um, and they say that most podcasts end after seven shows. Well, I'm happy to say that today's our tenth show. There you go. So, congratulations, congratulations number ten. I'm, I'm not surprised at all, man. I've been knowing you a long time. Don't surprise me. Hey, uh, we're we're we're, we're heading that direction. So we're going to continue to interview um, those who are you know movers and shakers, those who are organizational leaders in the restorative justice movement and criminal justice reform mm-hmm. movement. We're going to continue to um, interview them, but. From this point forward, you know, we have our policy hour with Ken Oliver. We're going to mm-hmm. continue to do that once a month. We're also going to we're going to start a new show on something that uh, this show is sponsored by the Crop Organization. We just dropped our website yesterday. Yep. You can go to croporganization.org and ch- check out what we're doing and who we are. Okay. And um, but also we're going to start a, start another podcast on uh, workforce development. <clears throat> and so um, we'll 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 be, we'll be talking about that real soon. But we're not going to stop interviewing people who are incarcerated. And then interviewing them once they get out. That's right. Because we want to shift the way people think about formerly incarcerated in America and erase some of those ideas that they get from TV shows and movies where just have us in there perpetuating crimes for 20 years and coming out just as madmen, which is um, for the most part nonsense. Yeah. So, uh, man, uh, tell us a little bit. Of, tell us a little bit about uh, what, what your day is like today after being uh, out for six months. Man, my days today, every, every day I wake up is crazy. 
I, I remind myself, you know, kind of some days I have to forcibly remind myself. Some days it just pops into my head like I'm free. Mm-hmm. I'm not rolling over in the bed listening to no nobody flush the toilet or do their morning routine or none of that. So my days now are great, man. You know, I work and the little stuff like, you know, looking at the trees, the birds, like that really tripped me out. You know, when I first got out looking at that kind of stuff, I appreciate all that stuff. So my days are really great and I'm excited. I'm happy every day. Even when I'm mad, I remind myself like, you know, you're not in prison. So you ain't got no excuse to be mad. You know, exactly. When we're walking in here, what'd you say? Yeah, I was like, man, I can't. I'm looking at all three of us. We yeah. was just, you know, we used to, we was in the gym playing basketball mm-hmm. on the yard, getting down for rides and stuff like that, sitting on the yard watching crazy stuff happening. And we're walking across the parking lot to come, you know, film something on, on reform and, and change and reentry. And it just tripped my mind. I was like, man, I can't believe we're just walking across the parking lot right now. Like right. something little like that. You know, you don't even life, think about that stuff. Our life was so different six months ago, wasn't it? <laughs> <Yep>. Man. <laughs> so different. Crazy. Yeah, we actually worked together in the gym, and Jay, mm-hmm. you might as well have worked in there because you were there. Yeah, I was there all the time. often getting yep. burritos from you guys. The rich burritos. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I haven't made any since being out, but I'll tell you this. I made burritos at a lot of places, and they weren't as good as them prison burritos. You ain't lying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> them gym burritos, boy, you had people lining up trying to get some of them. <laughs> For so, real. so speaking of food, one thing I've noticed, and I've kind of gotten a little bit of flack from my wife about, there's this thing called Freedom 20. Have right. you heard about it? No, that's some shit you just made up because you gained a bunch of weight. That's I did. I gained 20 pounds. I'm 196 pounds right now. And you got lie. the COVID 10. Look, I w- <laughs> Oh, then the COVID 10. Hey, I weighed myself this morning before I left mm-hmm. because I smashed the whole meat lovers to the head. And it's just been like a regular routine for me to eat like that. Mm-hmm. I'm 195, bro. Like, wow. I'm Last dead. time I seen you, like 155. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Stress had me sucked up, man. But hey, I've been, I, I've been eating good. That's one of the things that when I got out, you know, I, I promised myself, like, I'm going to enjoy food. I'm, I'm a fat man by nature. I'm just in a skinny man's body. So I love food. Right. You know, all kind of food. And so I've been lightweight splurging on, on you know, all what's, kind of different foods. What's, what's the best meal you've had since you've been home? Well, I, I get busted up if I didn't say my girl's fried there chicken. There you go. So, you know, there you go. My girl's yeah. fried chicken and, and pork chops. I mean, ain't nothing like that homemade cooking, man. So okay, that's that's right. I can't complain. That's all right. Yeah, that's man, right. we used to play basketball in the gym. And, you know, I was a little bit envious uh, of your six-pack, but it don't look like it's there anymore. <laughs> <laughs> that's how you feel. <laughs> I can't even say nothing because I was looking at it this morning trying hard to see some resemblance of it, but... It's we, we we actually uh, I'd have moved on with my life. We, we created a sport in there when um, when 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 the when the cops weren't around. We created a sport called uh, office chair basketball. Yeah, we got the office chair with um with um what do you call it uh the wheels yeah. mm-hmm. wheelchair, wheelchair basketball. Yeah, it's kind of like these same chairs. Yeah, same cha- mm-hmm. these same chairs that we could not get out of the chair. Yeah. We go out there with me and Chris and. and and Ted and uh, and he still manages to foul. How we invent a whole new game of basketball and Ted's still in out the there. chair and, and he's Ted, still fouling. He's still out there fouling. You know, yep. <laughs> sitting there talking about it ain't a foul, but yeah. <laughs> Those are my best memories being work, working at the gym with you, man. We had a lot of crazy incidents in there. Yeah, a lot, a lot of stuff happened. And coach was one of the was one of the few people in the whole prison system, and and I've talked about this before, but you got maybe one out of every twenty COs who actually. Um, you know, look at us with humanity yeah. and without objectifying us. And, and that coach that worked in there, he was, he was from the, the old days is a rare breed. And he, he didn't objectify us, man. He treated us Not like human beings. Uh, every day when you came to work, he talked to us like human beings and, and um, I really, res- I really respect him and admire him. And I know he's not working there anymore, but yeah. he's a good guy. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. out of all the jobs I've had in CDC, and you know, over fifteen plus years, I had a bunch of jobs. You know, working in a stupid kitchen yard and stuff like that. That was 
hands down my favorite job, you know, and a, a big part of it was because of the, the camaraderie. It was the environment. It was coach. It was you guys, you know, when we were working on getting you in there. But even before, the gym just had a cool little mellow atmosphere. So, yeah, definitely, man, coach has a, a place in my heart because he, he was always fair with us. And, you know, he's a little bit senile, a little bit old, but he's a real good dude. He has a good heart, you know, and, and he took good care of us. So, yeah, I can't complain. That's right. So a couple of weeks ago, we had on Adnan Khan, and he was sharing that he went to prison at the age of 18 with 25 to life. How old were you when you when you um, received your life sentence or when you were first locked up? I was 16 years old. 16 years old, man. Yeah, and I, I remember it pretty clearly. I had just gotten my uh, girlfriend at the time pregnant, mm. literally like maybe two months before I found out she was pregnant. And then um, I was arrested. So my daughter was born while I was in juvenile hall. And so, yeah, that was a, man, that was a crazy year for me, 2004. What was that like for you at 16 years old to be looking at a life sentence in prison? Well, it was a range of things that, you know, if I'm being honest, a lot of it was, was, uh, it, it didn't sink in what a life sentence meant because mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I didn't, I, I knew I had homies who had gotten life sentences and stuff like that. And all, all I just knew about it was a life sentence is you go away and you never come back. I didn't really understand like the, you know, the real magnitude of it, what's involved in it or nothing. So it was nerve wracking. Mm-hmm. It was scary. It was disbelief. It was, you know, how am I going to get out of this? Am I going to get out of this? Um, but it was a lot of like, man, my daughter's about to be born while I'm in here. And yeah. I don't know if I'm ever going to, you know <clears> what I mean? <throat> they called me, actually. I remember, uh, and so in juvenile hall, when I was locked up, we didn't have like your, your traditional um, go out to the yard and stuff like that. So we do our stuff like in the day room, read, and, you know, they make us do stuff that, that teenagers do. Mm-hmm. And they actually, uh, the officers in there were cool with me. You know, I, I've been able to develop some decent relationships along the ways, and some of the officers were cool with me. So they called me out of my cell after we did program by 830. They lock us up. And they're like, hey, you know, you got a phone call. You know, on, on the staff phone, you know, put my girl on the phone. She's in labor. Right. Mm. They're like, she's having your daughter, you know, right now. So that was, that was fearful. There were some complications with the birth. Um, so, oh, yeah, there was a, it was a lot at 16. Mentally, I don't know how I was able to really you know, process that and deal with it. But I did the best I could. And um, I was actually, the ironic thing is when my girlfriend first got pregnant, I didn't want her to have the baby. Right. If I'm being honest, because, mm-hmm. you know, I'm 16, I'm a kid on the streets, I'm running around, I'm, you know, I'm trying to do everything that's moving. I'm, I'm not focused on any sort of real responsibility. Sure. And so my initial reaction was, you know, I don't want you to have the baby because I don't want to be tied down. I don't want to have this kind of responsibility. That's what I'm thinking. It ended up being, you know, the best and most important thing in my life because mm-hmm. my daughter, you know, she she really got me through some times when I was on the mat and, and didn't want to get up. So, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, it was a lot at 16 to process for sure. So you're 33 now, right? Yes, sir. <clears throat> and you spend nearly half your life in there. Now you've been out six months. Have you been able to share? Uh, have you been able to, did she ever visit you while you're in? Yes. Yes. I remember, I remember the first visit. Um, she was just a baby. Well, actually they brought her to juvenile hall to see me one time. They kind of snuck her in. She wasn't supposed to come in and she was a little tiny little baby, you know, a couple months old. And, um, this is one of my most important memories. Cause when she came in, we went like to R and R. It wasn't even like a legit visiting room, but the, again, the officers were cool with me and I grabbed her and I held her and I looked at her and she, she was asleep. She woke up and the very first thing she did when she seen me, I always tell her this story. She always laughs at me. She had the biggest smile on her face as soon as she seen me. And I was like, yeah, you knew it was your dad holding you. So yeah, I've seen her a few times. Um, since then she came to visit me in prison a few times, you know, various prisons, not, not much, but my mom did a good job of getting her up there as much as she could. What about since you've been out? Since I've been out, man, I got to reconnect with her. You know, she, she, yeah, she stays in Oceanside still. She stays down there with her mom. So, um, her mom was able to bring her up for me. Like, man, I want to say like the first month or so I was out first month and a half. I was out and we got to spend the weekend together and it was 
surreal. Like she's a teenager now. Right, right. So, you know, there's a whole bunch of things going through my mind. I haven't seen her in so long. I miss her. I love her. She's so big. I'm old as hell. I'm gonna have to beat up some boys. Like, you know, I got all this stuff going on. But but more more than anything, it was just it was the culmination of a lot of hard work, a lot of patience on on both sides, you know, my family's, hers, you know, mine dealing with the stuff and to be able to finally have that manifest where I can hug my baby and not have people telling me I'm being inappropriate, like with my daughter, because that happened a few times at a few visits. You know, really? I don't know if you guys remember. I don't know if I'm, I'm not going to say her name, but there was a certain CO that a uh, counselor that used to work at a uh, at Central and they did the Fathers Behind Bars Christmas visit. Mm-hmm. And my daughter had come to see me on this particular visit. And she was sitting on my lap, just coloring, you know, crayons. I'm talking to my mom, not thinking nothing of it. And to see the, the counselor lady, she comes over there and she's like, oh, you know, she's like, that's inappropriate. You need to get her off your lap. I'm like, what are you talking about? It's my daughter. Like, she's like, yeah, but she's like, she, she's, she's too, um, she said she's too big, whatever. I told her, I was like, she's only nine. She's like, oh, she's only nine. I'm like, yeah, she's nine. She's big for a nine year old. She got my jeans, you know, she's half mm-hmm. giant, but she's telling me that I'm somehow being inappropriate with my daughter. Yeah. And I was, and it, and you know what? It almost ruined my visit. Like my mom had to snap me back because I was so angry, so frustrated. Like, what are you saying? You know, what are you sitting here telling me that my daughter can't just, you know, have that interaction. So to be able to have that freedom to really hold her, hug her, kiss her, take a bunch of pictures, laugh, you know, do that kind of stuff, man. It was, it was, there's almost no words. It was awesome. It's, it's funny. Wow. Well, it's crazy you say that actually, because I remember you know, just before we started this conversation here, you were talking about the small things, yep. the small things that we take for granted. And then, you know, when we make bad choices and we subject ourselves to something like prison, yep. it's like, whoa, like you're tripping on my daughter sitting on my lap, man. What? And then you get it back and it's like, I don't know, just the, the texture of life is so much richer, Yeah, I think. And uh, I think we have such a deeper level of appreciation yeah. for those little things. I think that's true. Absolutely. Now, most people who have served, you know, an extended amount of time in prison mm-hmm. uh, have some idea of like a time in their, during their incarceration where something happened yeah. and they started making a new choice about how they wanted to live their lives. Is that true for you? Yes, yes, and no. I want to share a quote. A quote on that. On now that you, that you mentioned that, mm-hmm. uh, one of the best quotes I've ever read is from Nelson Mandela, and he said, "If if I had not been in prison, um, it would have not given." Me, he said, "Had I not been in prison, let me see. What did he say? Had I not been in prison, I would not have been able to a- achieve the most difficult task in life, and that is changing myself." Yeah. So, like Jay, Jay, Jay is. Um, like asking after, man, what, what was that? Was it a gradual process? Was it an aha moment? Oh, it was well, not even a was, you know, it still is. Mm. <laughs> and, and, you know, if I'm being honest, so for me, and I know a lot of people, you know, that came in young that have those similarities, but for me, it was, I was learning how to grow up and learning how to be in prison. Mm. Those are two entirely separate worlds. That's crazy. You know that, yeah, they don't, they don't, they don't naturally go together because I'm, I'm 16. So when I come in, I'm already thinking, I had been on my own practically since I was like 12, ran away, had warrants and stuff. So I'm in and out of, you know, trouble by myself. So I'm thinking when I hit the, you know, when I come to prison, I'm thinking I know everything, you know, stupid teenager. Oh, I've been bought, paid a couple bills, been with a sure. couple girls. You can't really tell me much. Well, I quickly learned in prison, this, this is serious. This yeah. is not the place that you can, you know, have that attitude. So for me, it was um, trying to balance growing up. Mm-hmm. You know, growing into adulthood, right. growing into manhood, and at the same time, figure out how to navigate these prison waters with, you know, you, you have your dangers, you have your, your good, your bad. So 
I don't know if there was a moment, you know, I, I continued learning and growing my entire time all the way up to the day I left prison. And, and you know, I believe that life is a, a, a growing a journey. But to get more specific to your point, there was a, a, something that happened. So I want to say in 2014, give or take, I had a consultation. And so for those of you who are unfamiliar, a consultation is you, you it's what you go to before you go to the parole board, you go sit in front of a couple commissioners and they tell you, they review your program, basically what you have been doing, what you need to do in order to hopefully achieve success when you go to the parole board. Right. And so I went to my consultation and um, I had a commissioner there. I'm going to say her name. She's retired now, but she, this, this event really means a lot to me. Um, her name is commissioner Turner. I know you're familiar with Miss Turner. Yep. So we go in there now, previously when I was first locked up, they had, they were called doc hearings and I went to a doc hearing and it was nothing more than, okay, you're here, you have this much time, get out, maybe five minutes in and out. So I'm thinking it's going to be the same thing. I've never, I don't have any more experience to go on. I'm young, I'm going in there. So I go in, I sit down. It's, it's not, um, you know, if you, if you put two of these, two of these desks together and up against the wall, it's kind of that, that setting. So I go right. in, I sit down and very quickly I realize this is not just a doc hearing. Ms. Turner starts hitting me with questions about growth and change and self-help that I am barely prepared for. I'm just now dabbling into my self-help. And one of the conversations we had, I was coming in there with a fresh uh, write-up for marijuana mm-hmm. and a fresh phone write-up. And this is, uh, what, just a year before I had a write-up for a phone and weed in 2013. So we're having a conversation, and Ms. Turner, after hearing me speak, she goes, do you ever want to get out of prison? And I'm like, what is this lady? Like, I'm already caught off guard, kind of, that sure. this is the tone of the conversation. I'm like, so I'm just quiet. She's like, you know, because I can hear you speak. She's like, I know you're intelligent. She said, but for you to be so smart, you sure are dumb. <laughs> and I, I now I'm like, what the hell? And she's like, if you ever want to get out of prison, she said, you're running around here smoking weed, talking on phones like it's the thing to do. She's like, what's yeah. wrong with you? She was like, I can tell you this. If you're comfortable here, this is the place for you because you're going to stay. Right. You know, and, and basically she she beat me down for the <laughs> for the duration of that whole consultation hearing. And the, in the end, she lifted me up and she told me this is why I was so hard on you. Because you have a chance to go home. Sure. Right. And she's and this is how, you know, kind of messed up my mind was at the time. She said, you know, your crime is so violent that she said, you know, you have these write ups and that's not great. You don't want to get any more. But she said, just don't get any more violent. Right. Don't get any violent write ups because that'll keep you from going home. And my head's so messed up in my mind. I'm like, what do you mean my crime is so violent. It's just, it's just this is what I'm saying at the time. Obviously, it's not my thought now. It's just a, a second degree murder. How is that so violent? Like in my mind, I'm like, I didn't do any extracurricular. It wasn't like a, a, you know, torture kind of thing or I'm thinking, you know, extreme circumstances. But my mind was so warped that I looked at that as a small thing in compare. You know what I'm saying? You know, you said you said something really interesting, Chris, which I kind of want to go back to a little bit. You were talking about how when you first came into prison, like you're you're a teenager and you're trying to figure out how to navigate prison and growing up into a man. Mm -hmm. But it's almost like the nature of prison is really for kids in a way. And what I mean by that is like we were in society and we were making choices that went against the rules of society. Absolutely. And because we couldn't be trusted, you know, we had to be removed and put in a situation where we're essentially told what to do. Grown up time out. There you go. Grown up time out, you know, go to school, uh, when it's time to lock up, when it's time to, to, to go eat, to shower. Right. So, so it's interesting because like you're saying, like you're a teenager trying to figure out what it means to grow up, but you're in prison, which is an environment that is largely constructed to control people and treat them very much like children Absolutely. being told what to do. So that's interesting. And then you have mm-hmm. the conversation with the, with um, commissioner, uh, former commissioner Turner. Mm-hmm. And she's basically saying like, if you continue present program, you're going to continue to be treated like a child because you're going to get denied over yeah. and over again. 
and you had to make the choice for yourself. Hey, it's time to grow up. And yeah, so in that, you know, you're absolutely right. You know, I also had a Selly too. I want to credit him at the time. He was like, you know, if you want to get out of here, you got to start doing these groups because he had been found suitable. And he was really the first one coming from uh, Sentinella where I was at the four and then the three. I didn't see anybody that got found suitable. It was just like a myth, a rumor that wasn't happening. And he got found suitable. But coming out of that consultation hearing, I had to make the decision of, you know, am I going to continue doing what I'm doing or am I going to get serious about it? And I was still one foot in, one foot out. You know, right. I was still, what I resigned myself to do is, take her word seriously and the stuff that I did do, try to be better at getting away with it. And so it started my process of change, but realistically I was still doing things I knew I wasn't supposed to do. Right. And you know, there's no excuses whatsoever, but after having been, having grown up in, you know, in, in this environment in the prison environment and getting comfortable with the criminal culture right. and understanding, Hey, I want to make my time in there comfortable. I was still doing stuff I wasn't supposed to do. Yeah, for sure. But that, that stuck in my mind though. And that definitely started me on the process of, of slowly but surely kind of weeding things out. Yeah, I think that uh, we, we've met with uh, Terry Turner one time for like three hours. She came up into a classroom and we were building an alcohol and drug counseling program. Her and uh, Michelle Garfinkel, mm -hmm. uh, you know, one of the, the lawyers that, that uh, assist people with going to board. And um, she was like one of those uh, tough love aunts. Yeah, yeah. Instead of objectifying us, she's, she came up. I remember she looked at Jay's tablet. She's like, what'd you get this? What you got on here? What are you up to? <laughs> yeah. What'd you do? How long you been here? You know, and, and, and she gave us the real, she didn't like, like she did you. And, and I, and I respected that. And I also want to say to you, to your point that in, in prison, nobody's walking around for the most part in general. I mean, there are, there are those who, who live, who are living transformed lives, but in general, nobody's talking about, Hey, um, you know, we ought to have empathy for our victims, you know, especially you came in in 2004, lifers still weren't going home yeah. and there weren't very many programs that were dealing with, um, you know, um, uh, looking at the the how how you should view things from the victim's eyes or, or the survivor's eyes, what what they experienced, and so for the most part, uh, people talk about second degree or first degree, like they're talking about eating cereal from breakfast. Yeah. Oh, like, what you here for? Second degree? Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, so oh you oh at least it wasn't a first degree. Yeah. And so it's just <laughs> like as if you did a you know a petty theft. Yeah. And so if you live like that over and over and over without really addressing what, what the crime was. And, you know, many of our listeners, you know, I was interacting with a lady this week whose son, is, whose son is in there for a gun enhancement and also a gang enhancement. And he's doing 20 years. Mm. And, um, and, and, their, and their family members are, and some of them have to go to board, some don't. But for those who do have, have to go to board mm -hmm. and, and they're wondering, you know, how do you, how do you beat the board? They've had a three-year denial. They have a five-year denial. What do you, what are your thoughts about that? Uh, for those who think, you know, uh, a lot of guys run drag and tell them, you know, well, they don't have this program here. That's why they're not giving me a date. So what would you say? You, you were in there, you got a three-year denial the first time and you got found suitable the second time. What's your take for, for the loved ones of the incarcerated? I'll say this. And, you know, again, this is my experience and this is my opinion. I know guys who are great actors um, historically. I know guys who have been paroled by being great actors in the boardroom. But it's my belief that you don't beat the board. Um, what I mean by that is, if you're, it's, the process has changed over the years. Like you said, it's gotten more towards reform and stuff. But it, if you're not doing the work, and if you go into a room with seasoned commissioners who have been commissioners for 20, 25, 30 years, and they've listened to hundreds, you know, multiple hundreds of guys come in here and, and say the same things, and you get engaged in a conversation, where they're trying to look for specific things and you're not, you haven't done the work 
to be able to identify that or have the conversation or be transparent, they're going to know. And so if you, and that was my thing. Like when I went in front of, you know, the, they used to call me slick, as you guys are well aware, because I had an idea that, hey, I can talk my way out of or get out of or, you know, whatever, anything. And so the reason I got the the three, can I tell that story real quick? Sure, sure. You know, you know, I got the three-year denial. I'll be, the, I'll be quick the about Nike it. Nike socks. God, they weren't even Nikes. <laughs> it doesn't matter. <laughs> that was the word. You weren't supposed to have them. Yeah, I wasn't supposed to have them. You weren't so, supposed to have them. So to give a little bit of the backstory, at this time, uh, Rich was my coworker. We're working in the gym, and he had just got found suitable. And, he, you know, right before I went to the board my first time, I believe. And yep. so, you know, I, I leaned on him heavily for a lot of my board prep. I'm doing a ton of groups. So I'll tell you guys now, like you were, you were saying to the, you know, families and loved ones of guys who were in there, I was doing a ton of groups. I did my, my, you know, resume is second, probably only to you guys is with the stuff that you guys did in there. But I, I, I did tons and tons of groups. So that's just, you can't just do groups. Let me just say that that's not going to do it. But anyways, and you didn't only sit in groups. You were uh, facilitating facilitator. groups. Oh yeah. And you were the chairman. 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 Yeah, absolutely. Chairman of CGA. Multiple years participating. I'm talking about hundreds and hundreds of hours. So that's, that's not enough in and of itself. So anyways, um, there was an incident where I went to the family visit and this is, you know, lifers recently got back family visits. I was married. So me and me and my girl went on a family visit, me and my wife went on a family visit and I was coming back from the family visit and there was an officer there. I really want to say his name. I'm not going to do it though. I, I ain't going to be petty, but, um, there was an officer there and he stopped my property coming through. You know, we get searched the process, whatever, we grabbed a pair of socks, pair of white socks. And he says, he's like, are these personal socks? And I'm like, no, they're not personal socks. And he's, I'm like, he's like, well, why are they so white? Because, you know, I don't, for those of you guys who don't know, you know, we get new socks and they're brand new socks from the state. They're like, they're like yellowish, not like dirty kind of yellow. Dingy. But when they come new, yeah, they're like have a yellow tinge to them. That's mm-hmm. how you know. But these are white socks. So he goes, you know, he's like, I think these are personal socks. I'm going to. So my dumb ass is sitting there. I'm like, well, I'm freaking out. I got bored in a matter of, you know, days immediately. Yeah. And so I'm like, oh, you know, well, Sergeant Stevens. So now I'm digging myself deeper. I'm like, oh my God, I'd involved a sergeant and, and this kind of thing. So anyways, bottom line is this guy writes me up for a pair of socks. Mm-hmm. Now here's the, the story behind that. For those of you who don't know, when we go out to a family visit, the only thing we're allowed to have is state issue clothing, state issue boxers, socks, and blues. And that is it. That's all you can go out and come in with. So his contention was that I brought out personal socks to wear we're not going to get into whether or not that's a stupid rule, but it's a rule nonetheless. And that was one of my issues. Is Even I, if it is a stupid rule. Exactly. One of my issues is I can, I can determine, well, this is stupid or whatever. But anyway, so he wrote me up and he wrote me a, a 128. I went to the hearing. I contested it. The, the hearing officer's like, hey, I don't know who to believe. You or my officer. So I'm going to believe my officer and I'm going to find you guilty of a 128. I remember he, uh, yeah. he had pictures of the socks and everything. Yeah, so the dude, <laughs> man, this dude, he wanted to yeah, be a detective so bad when he was little. So sure. the socks was white. Yeah. Plain white. So this dude puts them on a, on a black surface, takes a black and white picture yeah. and attaches that with the write up. Yeah. Like he's building a case for the district attorney. So anyway, so he's the, the, the hearing officers looking at him. He's like, oh, these look personal, but I can't tell. Fast forward. I'm like, damn, it's a 128. I know for lifers, 128s are worse. And here's why, for those of you who don't know, 128 stay in your file. Mm-hmm. If you get past that first 30 days and you don't get it knocked out, they never leave. Even if, yeah. you know, whatever you do moving forward, you can, you can get a 115 dismissed or taken off your record. So anyways, I'm like, man, but in my mind, I'm like, well, it's a 128. I had been clean for a long time. So I go to board, I go to board and, uh, we start talking about stuff and and we're going over, you know, my groups and they kind of gloss over that. And then boom, here comes the deputy commissioner with the glaring conversation about, well, tell us about this 128. We go on to talk about these damn socks more than we talked about. And it's a shame to say more than we talked about the murder. And I couldn't understand in my mind at the time, they were beating me up. And, you know, another, from my opinion, for those of you 
loved ones and friends that have to go to the board. I had no choice, but I don't want to say I had no choice. I'm use better language. My best choice in the moment was to just be responsible and accept it because I knew I'm already looking at my next hearing. If I deny this, if I fight this, if I continue to try to lie and manipulate my way out of this, it's going to get worse. Right. So I took it on the chin. I got beat up for the course of the whole hearing over the write-up. And the deputy commissioner said something to me that really made me look at myself. And my girl actually seconded this opinion. And she said, the problem is you think you can determine what rules you want to follow and what rules you don't. She said, this is ultimately a small thing. Sure, someone looking at these transcripts might say, you guys denied him over some socks. She's like, but you understand, don't you? You know that it's about the thinking behind the socks, right? Mm, And so, you know, I'm the chairman of CJ at this time. And what we talk about is criminal thinking. And that was criminal thinking at its core. Right. So I I tell that story, you know, to go back to your original question, because no amount of groups, no amount of paper, we used to call it hiding behind the paper, no amount of paperwork that you guys have, chronos, that's not going to be enough, in my opinion. Like I said, things are changing. I don't, I can't say now, but in my opinion, you have to be able to be willing to have the conversation. You have to be able to be willing to be honest and you, you're going to, they're going to know if they sit you in there for an hour, or yeah, even exactly. if it's shorter, if you're full of, you know, full of mess or not. So, so let me ask you a question about that because, you know, you said it, you know, you're the former chairman of CGA, mm-hmm. did you have countless hours which of, is criminals and gang members anonymous yes counters of you know countless hours of of groups and conversations who's the work for is it for the board well initially it was for me mm-hmm. yeah. if i'm being honest you know when i started going to groups i was told you if you want to get out of prison you go to groups so yeah. i was what's called a chrono chaser now eventually like i said that you know the 2014 hearing with commissioner turner i started to absorb it seeds started to get planted and i really started to want to work on myself because i wasn't all the way happy with who i was mm-hmm. so initially the work was for the board and that is really i think one of the mistakes i made and that's mm-hmm. one of the things that ended up being a hindrance for me as i was like you know what i'm going to put on this good show for the board i'm going to stack all these papers up i'm going to be able to speak real well when i'm in there i'm going to show you guys what i've done and I'm still going to hide behind that little, you know, that little criminal self that's still in there and see if you guys can find it. You know, it, it, what's in my mind, I was like, you don't have to really change. You just have to put on a good show for the yeah. board. And even, even the word transformation, right? There's, there's change and transformation. Mm-hmm. And, and, um, and one of them is an outward change. Yeah. It's not inward. Yeah. It's a, it's, it, it can only be seen on the outside. And then there's that inward change. And it sounded like that didn't come until later. Yeah. But um, the real transformation starts on the inside and, 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 the, and the outside begins to show and, you know, I, I know that I, I knew you. When did you get to Soledad? 2010. 2010. So we've yeah. known each other for 10 years. I remember you pre-transformation, post-transformation. And, and you're, you're touching on something that me and Jay were talking about earlier this morning is, sure, is it a stupid rule? Does, does, should, there, should you be allowed? I mean, we, we can have personal socks from our packages. We, what's the big deal in wearing your personal socks out, out to the family visit? Mm-hmm. Right. So there's definitely the, that um, amongst uh, some major other things that can change in the system. On the other hand, the rules are rule. Yep. You can't wear socks. Yep. Dude, you're going to board. You've been in 15 years. Do you want to go home? Freaking do. Then don't wear them socks. Yeah. And um, and 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 it, and and it does speak to the thinking. If I'm willing to um, break the rules with some socks, mm-hmm. what am I going to do when I'm free again? Mm-hmm. Because we know that lifers have come home. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, those sentences, the life sentences have come home and that same thinking, well, I'll just, I'll start doing this. I'll start hitting the, the club or the bar. And I, even though I know, I know that 
they're going to drug test me only or alcohol test me only at the first of the month. Mm -hmm. So I got these, you know, three days for to get the alcohol out of my system and you start tempting and tempting and tempting. And eventually you're back in there. And for us, you know, the old days used to be a one year violation yeah. or, or for non-lifers, they go to county jail 10 or 15 days, but we go back with life. Yep. Mm. Yep. So, so. I, you, at the end of that hearing, the commissioner said something and, and he said, you know, young man, right now you're making decisions because of your environment, because of where you're at. And he said, one day you're going to make decisions based on, he said, it doesn't matter, you know, beyond the walls. He said, you're going to be making decisions from your heart on what's the right thing to do. He said, we still see some of that in you of you making decisions because you're here. Otherwise you wouldn't be following the rules if you didn't have to. And that really stunk, sunk into me, you know, so after that, I kind of, like I said, by no means was I perfect. And anybody who knows me, I'll never sit here and preach perfect, but I was way better than I was. And I just tried to get better every day. And so after having that hearing, um, like you said, you know, I didn't get another write up, didn't have any more incidents. And when I went to the board, my next time, 18 months, they, they told me what they wanted me to do. I buckled down, focused on it, um, got serious about it, was moved to another yard and, and was ultimately found suitable. But yeah, that, that definitely, I think there were a series of, of changes for me. It wasn't like one thing. You just, you just said something really profound yep. to me, um, that the commissioner shared that they, they recognized that you are making decisions based on where you were. Yep. And like what hit me when I heard that is, is how it seems to be true for many of us, mm -hmm. especially those of us who have served time in prison, that when we committed our crimes, a lot of our decisions were made because of where we were, yep. whether it was, you know, the surrounding environment, what we told ourselves about it, our image, like where we were. But then when we do the work and we really transform our lives, there's like a new opportunity for us to start making decisions on based on where we want to go, yeah. where we want to be. Because prison ain't it, right? Like, I want something more for my life. So what was it like for you when you got found suitable? And it's like, wow, it's about to be over pretty soon here. What was that experience like for you when they said those words, Mr. Chris Gooden, we find you to be suitable today? Because you're in there from 16 to 32, yeah. and then you hear that. Yeah. Honestly, it was stressful. And I know that sounds crazy to some people and, and I'll explain why a little bit. It was, first of all, I was happy. I felt like I, you know, I had achieved what I wanted. Then immediately the way my mind is, I have a very analytical mind, sometimes worrisome, whatever I'm thinking ahead. I'm worried about, is the governor going to take dates? And cause he was doing that thing real big at this time. Oh yeah. So it was stressful in that sense. And then it seemed like once I was found suitable, so many things started coming up, testing me. And my mom always told me from the time I was first locked up, she told me the devil works overtime when you're at the end. You know, when you're almost at the end of your journey and you've almost completed your mission, that's when he's working the hardest to try to get you to stumble. And it, it's like as soon as I got found suitable, I go back to the yard. I'm happy. My initial reaction was I didn't want to tell a bunch of people because I will tell you guys this. That whole thing about not everybody wanting to see you mm. suitable. and so, so for me, I was always genuinely happy when someone got found suitable. Even sure. if I didn't like you, even if I didn't know you, if I heard that a lifer was going home and got found suitable, to me, it's like, hey, man, you know, I have no judgment. I'm happy. You know, do, do you. But, but the truth is many people are not. Yeah. Sure. There's the old saying, there's a lot of truth and wisdom in the old saying that misery loves company. Man, you ain't lying. And when I go, and it's crazy because when I go back, there's so many people who, there was a, there were some lifers that had mixed into the level one, but there were so many people who weren't even lifers. And people, there was also people who I had known for years on Central who stopped talking to me. Mm. People who felt that, you know, I don't know if they felt I didn't deserve, like there was one guy, I'm not going to say his name. He, he's been locked up almost, well, almost 30 years and he had. 
15 to life. And he's like, what did you have again? He doesn't come tell me congratulations or nothing, which, okay, it is what it is. I don't need you to pat my back. But he comes up to me, what did you have again? What was your sentence? 15 to life. How much did you do? 15 years, nine months. You know, when it's all said and done, 15 years, nine months. And I'm walking around here with 30. And then he walks off, never spoke to me again. Mm-hmm. And I started seeing, and I'm like, man, this is, this is crazy. So it was stressful. Not to sound ungrateful, because I'm extremely grateful, and sure. I was humbled, and I was happy, and my family was joyous, and to hear my mom have those cries of joy, she's been waiting so long, you know, I'm her youngest son, so all that, not, not to diminish any of that, but there was a, a, a lot of it that I still had to do that, that six months, and I had to stay longer, um, you know, a little bit longer in my situation, and I had to do that time with, with people who were bitter, who were angry, who, who didn't want to see me go home, people who felt like I didn't deserve it, so it was, it was a mixed bag, you know, but it was definitely joyous. So then uh, the day arrives, Whew. made it through the, you had a little bit more than, no, you had 150, right? 150 days? 154. 154 oh, days. Man. Yeah. Stressing. Normally that's not a good thing. Man, so, hell no. Stressing every single one of them. So here we are, 153. 153. So hold on, real quick, real, okay. real quick on that. Yeah. It's supposed to be 150. Yeah. He had four extra. Right. Yeah. It's supposed to be 150. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You, that's when you find out. Yeah. Right. But, you know, we, we. Uh, you know, it doesn't always happen that way. They, they'll, they'll, they'll break the rules on their sure. own rules, right? Sure. So 154, go ahead. So here, we are. Get time for so here we are, 153. This, this is what I want to do. <laughs> 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 you might want to just chalk that one up, Chris. Yeah, <laughs> I'm going to let that go. <laughs> Be happy you're free. Nah, I feel yeah, for sure. So here we are, 153. Mm-hmm. Day before. Mm-hmm. What's going through your mind? Now, I mean, putting everything in context, like you said, you were 16 years old when you came in. Yeah. You're at 153. Tomorrow you're going home. A wake up, and you're going home. What's going through your mind? What's your experience? Couldn't sleep. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he's nah, this guy can sleep though. I don't know. <laughs> you know what, man? That if I don't know if there's been a word or words mm-hmm. that I can for me personally that I can use to describe that. I could be you know cliche and use all the the regular excited, happy, nervous, couldn't sleep for sure. Mm-hmm. But it was something else. You know, mm-hmm. uh, it, it was something deeper. It for me. Just for me personally, in my life, like you said, I've been in there since I was 16. So there was a big part of me that was like, this is actually happening. Mm. There was a part of me that was like, I'm so scared. Because I had been having a lot of dreams leading up that I would wake up and realize that I actually got a three-year denial. Like, I was having dreams and I was seeing the paper, you know, where it says granted or Mm. three. And it was three. And so there was a big part of me that was like, man, I hope this is really, I hope this is true. Because they already made a mistake on my housing, which is why I was four days over. Right. My parole officer didn't do their job. So there was a lot of mistakes. And I was like, man, I hope this is not a mistake. Mm-hmm. So there was fear. There was happiness. There was, uh, you know. But the biggest one for me was, it was just disbelief. I was like, man, I've been here since I was 16 years old. I grew up in this place. Mm-hmm. You know, I became a man in this place. And obviously not the man that I want to be moving forward. But I still, I became a man in this place. I've been through so much. My family's been through so much. You know, what I put people through was so much what I put this man's family through was so much and here I am with a chance to have an attempt to redeem myself have an attempt to get out there and make an impact have an attempt to get out there and show like you said all dudes that are getting out of prison especially people who are long-term offenders are not getting out big buff swole with tattoos on their face going right back to the block no nah. some of us actually want to do something and so I was excited yep and it was I was like man, I can't believe I'm leaving in the morning I packed my shit up Everything was gone. Yeah, I started, yeah. I'm not gonna lie. I started oh, giving you, away stuff. You like did the giveaway. Thing. Yeah, but I, but I did it early though. I did mine like a month after I got found suitable. What'd That's you bring with you? I ain't bring nothing. My girl demanded. <laughs> she demanded that I leave everything there. And then the funny thing, as soon as we got in the car, first of all, that experience driving out the gate. Oh my god. Yeah. I just knew they were gonna come back and grab me. Nope, nope, mistake. Yeah. Come mm-hmm. back in. You know, I was scared. I'm looking over the 
rear view the whole time. I'm Did scared. you look back? Hell yeah. <laughs> but it was out of fear. I wouldn't look back. Out of fear too. I just I just knew. I was like, man, I'm going to see some lights. But then when right. we get on the freeway, you know, it just, I, I can't describe that, man. I'm still trying to search for words strong enough to really come to terms with the fact that I'm 16 and here I am. And so I'll tell you this though, it was kind of a wave, you know, it was, it was a, a high of man, I'm free. I finally made it out peak up, up there, enjoying the family, talking to the family, Hey, I'm home, all that. And then it's like, do you know how to do this life thing? Mm. Like, do you know, when I was 16, I didn't have to be responsible. Mm. If I needed money, I knew I could go do this or go do, you know, something stupid. And now I have a daughter. <clears throat> Now I have, you know, my wife who's, yeah, yeah, yeah. I have a wife. I have my family who's, who's been there with me, my girl who's been there with me through everything. And I'm expected to survive in an environment legally. And I, I used to tell my wife all the time, I said, you know, the one thing for me that's kind of a, a struggle is I don't know if I know how to hustle legally. And I use mm -hmm. the term hustle, not in any legal sense, but hustle in the, in the sense of my work ethic. I don't know if I know how to do that legally. I don't know if I know how to be the guy that's on top of I've never done it. Or be a father as an adult male or husband yeah. as an adult male. I mean, you've never lived out here as a responsible adult male. I mean, never. I experienced the same thing. Yeah, there's a, there a lot of fear involved in that. Excitement, fear. So what are you learning? I learned that I don't know shit. <laughs> Man, I, I, I was one of those people, my girl always get mad at me because I swear I'm so smart and I be thinking I know everything and I can plan for stuff. I call myself good at chess. You know, I, I, that's one of my character defects too. We're talking about CGA, you guys. That's one of my character defects is, is I have, you know, it, it can be arrogant sometimes and that can, that, that's a real flaw mm -hmm. of mine. And I came into this situation while having that fear of, damn, can I do this? There was also that, you know what, I'll figure it out. I can do it. I can get it done. But then it's like, shit, I'm something as simple as, and we kind of, we talked about this um, when I, I went to over there to hang out with Ted, something as simple as being in the grocery store, trying to do self-checkout. Mm. I don't even know how to do the self-checkout. It's sure. just simple. Now to me, I've been out a few months. It's the simplest thing in the world. I don't right. even know how to do self-checkout. And I told my girl, it's scary, not scary, but it's, it's, you know, yeah, I'll, I'll use the word scary because I felt like all the people behind me were rushing me. Mm -hmm. First of all, I felt like everybody knew I just got out of prison. Yep. I felt like they could look at me and they're all like, look at this guy. They could tell. Yeah. And, and so I'm freaking out. I'm, I'm feeling rushed while I'm at the self-check. So yeah. it, I learned just how much I don't know, man, about credit cards, paying bills, taxes, how much shit really costs. And that's one thing my mom, my sister, my girl, they always used to tell me, you'll see how expensive shit is once right. you get out here. Because in prison, it's, you know, I get 50 bucks. I'm doing good. So I so, live off that. So I paroled seven days before you. Mm -hmm. And... I have this sim a similar experience, right? As far as like the transition into society. Yeah. And what I really trip in on is that we actually got a little bit of a break. Yeah. And what I mean by that is like the whole world has had to slow down yeah. with mm -hmm. COVID-19. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, I had a, a couple months just to like, just, you can't really go anywhere or do much. Yep. So imagine for some of the guys and girls who get out of prison after serving long sentences when, when everything's up and running. Cause stuff yeah. moves fast out here. I'll say that too. You know, my mom was telling me and I didn't even look at it like this until she pointed that out. She was like, you know, in a way this might be good for you. Cause I'm staying in the downtown Sacramento area right now where traditionally it's pretty busy. You know, there's a lot of movers and shakers going on down a lot of stuff happening. And she was like, you know, it might be a good thing for you that it's kind of shut down now because mm -hmm. you can, you can kind of slowly acclimate yourself, reacclimate yeah. yourself to the environment. You can learn these type of things. She said, because when they open up, it's going to get busy. Mm -hmm. You know, there's, there's, it's going to be a hustle and bustle that you might not be comfortable with. And sure enough, I wasn't comfortable right away with a lot of people, you know, a lot of movement and a lot of stuff happening. Like there was that whole uh, thing that, that, that was very real for me too. I was a little bit uncomfortable, but 
Yeah, that's definitely, I think that's a bonus for sure. I, I remember being at the self-checkout the first time and I bagged everything and then I started walking out and then the light went off and then some lady walked up to me and I'm like, man, I'm about to get arrested. For, yeah. for, uh, maybe I, uh, you know, I, I'm, about, I'm about to get arrested. I don't know for what, but and they said, how many, how many bags did you get? I said, oh, three. <laughs> oh yeah, you got to put you, how many bags? You didn't pay for the bags. You got to, you got to put, you got to put that you pay for the bags. And I didn't know that. So uh, you was going to be the only <laughs> life to come back for stealing 10 cent bags. And also, <laughs> and, and also I had a, a 40 pack of water under the basket oh my and they God. didn't see it. So I was like, and someone told me, Hey, uh, did they get to get that water? Uh-huh. I said, no, so, uh, you could have just went out and then it would have been your word against theirs. Man, You're trying to steal water. water. Yeah. <laughs> it steal is. Water you, you from plastic water. bags. Hey, I'm, that's a good thing though. That I, Cause I didn't know we had to pay for the bags. I'm sitting there like, you know, when we, but the COVID when I came out, we didn't have to thank mm. God the bags are free. Cause I sure, well, I didn't know. I'm just oh, grabbing yeah. bags. I'm like, nah, I need three, four bags. And then my girl was like, you know, you have to regularly pay for those. Like, I'm like, well, what do you mean? She was like, yeah, the 10 cents. Look, she showed me. I'm like, man. And my first, see, and this is. It didn't used to be like that. First mm-hmm. criminal mind, pop. I ain't about to pay for no bags. I'm right, right, right. 10 cents. But then I'm like, you know, you're about to, you're going to do pay for everything that these people tell right. you to pay for. <laughs> so you, 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 sure. you, you mentioned your wife. You know, my wife, she's been an incredible resource. Absolutely. I mean, there's no way that I would have been able to adjust or adapt. Absolutely. As quickly as I have, if it wasn't for her. For sure. What about for you? Is, has, has your wife been a great resource for you? I want to say this, and I'm glad you gave me an opportunity because I was going to, you know, circle around to it. We all know guys who have done 20, 30, 40, maybe 50 years, some of them, mm-hmm. 45 plus years, and who have gotten out and didn't have anybody. Yeah. And I told my wife, I told my sister, my mom, because I had a lot of family support coming home. My girl being the main one, my wife being the main one. And I turned to her and I told her, I don't know how someone can get out of prison after doing a long sentence and not have the support that you guys have given me because I would be lost. Mm. Like I would, you know, would I figure it out eventually? Yeah. But the process and what I would have to go through and, and, and it's just, it's crazy. Yeah, for sure. They've been, for me, I, I make it a point to, to make sure that, you know, everybody's my cousin the other day, he's like, you know, you're a success story. You're doing good. Get out of prison. I'm like, first of all, bro, I know guys who are really having an impact, making change. I said, the bet, the least I can do is just stay out of trouble and try to contribute here and there. But the only reason that I'm even in this position, the only reason that I'm even stable in this, uh, you know, reentry and have the mental stability and, and the physical and, and everything else is because of my family. It's because of my wife. It's because of my mom and my sister. So I will say one of the things that the board asks for when you go is support letters and they mm-hmm. want to see your support system. And to me, that was all just fluff, part of the process, throw it in there. Yeah, I'll get support letters. Man, it's, it's been the <clears> most <throat> important thing for me sure. in my reentry. You know, you can, you'll find a job. That felon stuff doesn't exist no more. You'll find a job. You can, you know, do this, do that. But having that support, it's been. Whew. So you said something real heavy. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of guys we know, all of us, who've been in for decades yep. and don't have the support that we've yep. been fortunate enough, blessed enough to have. Absolutely. But you're, you're currently in a transitional facility. We won't say the name, mm-hmm. but what resources do the facility provide for you? Where do you think there might be shortcomings or what's working? And follow that up with what have been some of the challenges living there? So resources and challenges. Well, that's kind of a catch. It was the raw. That, that's kind of a catch 22 though, because COVID COVID impacted a lot. So naturally, the the I'll say the group that I'm in getting out my reentry is I'm I'm with SCBC. Mm-hmm. So they have certain recommendations. Now the transitional home that I'm staying in is getting funded. It, it, I'm being funded by SCBC to which be is there. Uh, Sacramento County based coalition. Yes. So yeah, thank you. So so that's who's funding me to be out. Now they're paying my rent. 
They're paying for me to, that's all they're paying. They're paying for me to be in this house. So I actually had an incident with my caseworker for SCBC. So they, their requirements are when we're up and running normally is that you attend classes and they pay your rent. They want you to go to, nothing wrong with that. In theory, you come out, you're reentering, you're going to go through these classes. Well, COVID kind of changed that. So now they're asking us to do Zoom, which you would think is easier. However, I have a job and the meetings only can be scheduled at certain times. And so I told my caseworker, hey, is there any way I can get a different time, get a different meeting? She actually told me, um, no, if you don't go to this, we're going to stop your funding. She's like, the least you can do is go to this group because we're paying your rent. I'm like, you're paying my rent, but who, what about food? And she's like, well, the home is giving you. I'm like, they give me $40 a week right. for food. Like, I can't live off that. I have other bills. And so we actually had an exchange, and I actually had to tell her, hey, listen, I want to talk to your supervisor. I said, because right now you're telling me choose between getting fired from my job right. and surviving, which I'm just getting out of prison, so I need exactly. or go to this group. I'm, I'm asking for a compromise. I attended the classes before I started working. I never missed a group, was never late. And now I'm working and she's telling me, oh, you still have to go. I don't care if you're at your job. Take an hour. I'm like, lady, I work at a restaurant. Right. I can't stop for an hour to do a Zoom and then go back to my job. And that's so, that bureaucracy because they want to get that $1,340. Yeah, $1,500. How, hard, uh, How hard was it for you to get a job? Um, Actually, being honest, it wasn't very hard. Not that bad. I spent, so the time that I wasn't working when I first got out. Mm-hmm. Well, first things first, my mom got me a PlayStation 4. I'm going to just say it. Listen, I'm going to tell you, I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed to be happy. Chris loves out, his video games. Yeah, it's, man, I was, I was, you know, I was yeah. young when I got locked up. So that was it's called things. Arrested Development. <laughs> no, man, it's, it's called You Only Live Once, so make yourself happy. But anyway, you so, so the time that I didn't spend playing video games when I initially got out, because I kind of spoiled myself, I had some money that the family gave me, but I was spending eight hours a day job searching. I was on Craigslist. I was on every, every you know, LinkedIn, I don't even know if I can, uh, what LinkedIn was the other one? Some of them, I didn't even have a resume. So I was just putting up blank resumes just so I can get in to see yeah. what, what job offers they had. And ultimately I found a job, um, a job on Craigslist, but it wasn't really difficult to find a job. I had a job within the first 40 days of me being released. Sure. You know, just from, I, I job searched, like I said, eight, eight to six, seven, eight, nine hours a day on the internet, you know, finding it. The internet's a great resource. So that was an area where I didn't really struggle. Um, and I'm making decent money, livable sure. money for now. Sure. But, livable now that, I mean, you're, you're in a transitional yeah. home and yeah. you have a wife yeah. who's got a home. Yeah. But imagine for the guys <clears throat> who are getting out and don't have any of that. I would still, I would say the same thing. It, a lot of it depends on, on how hungry you are, you are. You know, for sure. myself, I don't like, be, although I have that support system, mm-hmm. I don't like being dependent. I look at it like this. I was in prison for, for almost 16 years. I depended on my loved ones for everything I had just about, you know, aside from whatever little pain number I might've had. Right. And they've been taking care of me. As a man, I feel like, hey, I'm home now. Right. It's time for me to be responsible. It's time for me to get out there. So yeah, you know, I love playing my video games. I'm not ashamed to say it, but nothing, my work ethic is, un, you know, is unparalleled, is, is, right. is, is unmatched. So when I want something, I go get it. And I decided that, you know, I was like, hey, I want a job. I want to be self-sufficient. I don't want to keep turning around. Yeah, my family has a little bit of money saved up for me, but I don't want to be, hey, can I get a hundred bucks every time I need some? I'm done with that. That's prison shit. I'm not in prison no more. I can get out here and get my own. So within the first 35, 40 days, I had a job. And I've been paying my own bills ever since then. You know, it felt so good just to, to get. And that's another thing too, to to get stuff in my own name. Yeah. Mm. Because when I was a juvenile, I didn't have I didn't have no ID. Obviously, never had a license. Jay, I kind of shared with you and Rich. You know how happy I was when I got my license. That was a big deal for me. That's you know, right. but you even passed before, the test in the first shot. Hell no, nah, man, don't do it. <laughs> How many, how many times you have to take it? Man, this is all part of I it. didn't pass either. I had to take it three times. I was, arrogant, <laughs> I was arrogant enough. I went in there without the book. I'm like, man, I don't pass this. I failed it. And I said, let me take it again. Pay $35. You get three shots. Right, right, yes, right. I failed it. I missed six. And then I would miss, and I missed seven. And I said, um, can, I, can I borrow that book real quick? 
I went out, sat out there, studied the book for about an hour, and then I went back in and tested. And if I wasn't gonna, if I didn't pass that one, yeah. I was gonna pay another thirty five bucks. Yeah, you go. I wasn't gonna go home whoop. <laughs> I'm gonna pass that. T- I ain't leaving here like that. I'm the same. Would have messed me up. Hey, I'm the same way. My girl, she made fun of me because the first, I, first of all, I didn't read the book. I read a little bit before I got out, but I didn't read the book. I'm not gonna lie to you. Read I, the bold print. I'm. Just, I didn't even do that. I, <laughs> I just remember some of the signals, asked a couple questions. I got in the car, and this is why I failed, too. I ain't going to make no excuses. I was doing 42 and a 35. Now, if you ask me, <laughs> if you ask me, that's petty. Because what is 42? But the bottom line is, see, this goes back to the rules. It's a rule. I was talking about the written test. I, I didn't fail speaking. the driving test. Oh, no, I didn't fail the written test. <laughs> okay. I passed that on the first try. I think it's worse <laughs> you fail the driving test. I but... think it's worse you fail the written test. <laughs> <laughs> I guess it's so a he, matter of perspective. So, he, so <laughs> That shit was hella. So no, you, but so I failed the actual. you're speeding with the instructors. I mean, you know. Speeding, but not really. Thirty five is right. thirty five. But anyway, so the second time I came back and yeah. I, and I and I knocked it out, and my girl goes, "You know what? I'm glad you got it." She said because you don't take uh, failure very well. She said that's the first thing you failed at since you've been out. I was like, "Hell no, I don't take failure very well. I don't like mm-hmm. it." She's like, "Yeah, you're kind of arrogant." I was like, "Call it what you want. I don't <laughs> like getting whooped by nobody or nothing." That's right. So yeah, I, I was uh, that was a big deal for me. Well, you know, go ahead. What I was gonna say is is that I like that about you is that it's not in that sense it's not arrogant. That's the type of spirit when you. For guys getting out, whether it was a life sentence or five years, is that I'm gonna come out and I'm gonna make it. I'm gonna be proactive. Mm-hmm. I'm not gonna. Yes, there there are there are programs that are available, and we wish there were more. And 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 that and but you need to be proactive. Yeah, you need to come out with a with a with a fiery spirit that I'm not gonna let up. There is no going back. Yep. There is no going back. Nah. You got to burn the boats. Yeah, ain't none of that. You know, uh, um, you know, and that's a that's a that's a story that that Ted likes to tell when when Cortez went to the Aztecs and he landed. And he burned the boats, so they wouldn't have no way to, to turn around and, and flee when they got in the and they got in the war. All or nothing. And uh, yeah, so uh, you know you got to burn the boats. There is no turning back. I'm gonna find something, and come what may. And I'll say I'll say also you know one of the things like I'm very mindful of what what I don't want to get lost in this process is I'm very mindful of why I was arrested in the first place. I'm very mindful of what I did to go to prison, and I took a man's life. And for me, that's something that I carry with me. It's something that's a big deal. And it's also something that motivates me because now, and I mean this, this is not just group stuff and I ain't going to the board or nothing like that. I mean this regardless of my mistakes or my flaws. Now I'm not just living this life and doing the things I'm doing for me or to be successful for me. I'm also doing it because I know that I have the weight and the gravity of what I did and that I owe that back. And so I'm just trying to do my best to, to be successful out here in whatever way that I can be, you know, whether I'm a millionaire or not. And one of those ways that you're giving back is by working with Jay. Tell us about the program that you're doing for the crop organization. You and you and uh, Chris are working together. So right now, Chris and I are uh, working the 12 steps of CGA together. We're yes, uh, creating a video series. Uh, he's the uh, the resident expert on criminals and gang members anonymous. So we're having the conversation. Uh, we're recording it, and we're going to be sending it into the institutions for uh, our incarcerated brothers and sisters in blue. Uh, to watch because currently, you know, due to COVID-19, we can't get in and offer any programs in person. So we're going to have some stuff over the uh, institutional channel for them to watch. And what's that experience been like uh, so far recording oh. those episodes? Oh, it's been great. You know, Chris is a, he's a master in that subject. Um, he's, he knows the steps forward and backward and he's got some, you know, great stories to contextualize a, a lot of the literature. So it's been, it's been great. We've got about five more, uh, episodes to shoot and then we'll be ready to package it up and send it off to cdcr so they can put it on the institutional channels yes sir and uh and what a testimony it'd be to, to a lot of the brothers that uh and sisters but i'm talking about specifically those at solidad to see you free and um and not only that but giving back by putting on 
the former CGA chairman uh, uh, speaking about the steps again because they're locked in their cell. They might be locked down because of COVID for another 18 months, mm-hmm. but you're, uh, they're able to still work a program from the cell. <clears throat> and uh, I think it's a, a beautiful thing, man. It's good to see you. It's good to see you free. You look like you're supposed to be out here. That's what I told Jay. Right. That's because you are. Uh, we weren't meant to be in there. Not at all. We weren't meant to be in there. I think about uh, when God created Adam and Eve, he gave them a garden. And definitely two men were not meant to be in a 10 by 6 cell. Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember seeing you and your celly in there, Lee, for years and years. And yeah. uh, wondering, man, what's ever going to come with this? Yep. To see you free, man, you, you look great. I'm glad you put on a few pounds. You're a little bit skinny in there. <laughs> that prison food is terrible. You think you can still grab the rim? Oh, man. This guy's. You didn't answer the question true. last time I asked skills. him. I asked he might roll an ankle, like, though. He's like, come on, man. Like, no, I don't know if you can grab that rim oh, anymore. No, I'm a little bit older now. <laughs> I weigh a little bit more. <laughs> but I'm, I'm really glad to be out, and I'm really glad to be working with you guys. Man, I think what you guys are doing is great, especially you, Rich. You know, you've been a big motivation in my life, a big help, you know, a big sense of encouragement for me, and, and a great role model. So I want to tell both of you, you know, especially thank you, you know, and, and I'm really excited to see what you guys are going to be doing the, for the future. And like I said at the beginning, I'm not surprised that you're 10 episodes in and I won't be surprised when you're a thousand in, you know, however long you feel like doing this because I know you're going to be a success. So I'm glad yeah. to be here. It's great to be out. And yeah, I'm just happy, man. Hey, man, I'm glad I don't have to put no more money on that global telling for you. <laughs> and now, now I'm doing it. It's my turn now. Yeah, yeah, yeah you got to get right. back. I ain't nah, mad. we're still putting it on. We're going to keep money on and keep, keep them lines open. Um, Love you, man. It's been good to spend a, a time with you here on the Prison Post. Appreciate yes, you. Thank you. Love you guys Thanks, too, man. Chris. Thank you for listening to The Prison Post, a production of The Crop Organization. We'll be sharing more stories from the world of prison reform and restorative justice, so please join us. You can listen to The Prison Post on all major podcasting platforms. Subscribe to our video cast on YouTube and like us on Facebook at The Prison Post and at Creating Restorative Opportunities and Programs.